0: Hello friends, how's it going? It's Mr. Adam Max here, and you're listening to the Pursuit Podcast on the Outta Collective. As always, you know, we ask you to please like, share, subscribe. I know that's such a lame thing to say, but that that's like the best way you can help a brand like this is leaving a review. You know, five stars helps. Spotify, you just click the star rating. Let us know what you think, share, comment on our posts, follow at Mr. Adam X on Twitter, follow Pursuit Podcast on TikTok, I'm really trying to TikTok, follow at of Collective, follow at Mr. Adam X on Instagram, just follow us, you know, give us some love, that's what we need, we all need a little love, we should all be nicer to each other, it feels good to be nice. As an old friend once said, "It's nice to be nice." I think that's you know a huge focus this week as we are you know we're watching the Olympics. We're seeing some of our idols struggle with mental illness and mental—I don't even want to say illness. I hate that word, but mental breakdowns and how much pressure is on these athletes and not even athletes, just us as humans to be on all the time. So I think that's important. It's nice to be nice. Let's all be nice to each other. Call your friends. And, you know, just check in. I had a friend from high school text me last week that he took his family snowboarding. I probably haven't talked to him in 10 years. And it, you know, it, it really opened my eyes as to how, how easy it really is to just reach out and say hi. There was no pressure. We were really tight. Um, he moved away. And we just grew apart. No hard feelings, no nothing. But he finally got to share like the stoke of snowboarding and skiing with his friend, or with his family. I'm sorry. And he was like, I was the first person he thought of to share that with. So, reach out, say hello to your friends, say hi, text an old friend. I don't want to say text an ex, but you know what? Text an ex. X Say hello Just check in on everybody It's important Let's take care of each other We're a community And this is how we stay strong as a community we, we, we check on each other And now that we talked about community and friends And calling each other and caring It brings me to my sponsor this week And they're a new sponsor And we're really excited to have them You know, be part of the collective But it is functional face masks functionwear.com partnering with them was was I don't want to say it was easy I mean it's always work to build partnerships and relationships but when we talked about mental health and how important it is to us they immediately you know for our first ad with them they jumped on board and they said we will donate 20% of sales to building hope of summit county which If you guys haven't listened, Adam Jabber and Drew Peterson did a very, very heavy interview that came out yesterday on the Out of Bounds podcast, and it's real. It's happening, and mental health is is a real thing. So listen to that episode first off. Watch Drew Peterson's new film, Ups and Downs. It may be triggering if you do struggle with mental health, so make sure you are in a decent space to watch it, or you watch it with friends and family. But, that being said, Drew Peterson picked the charity, Uh, Function jumped right on, 20% of sales this week on functionware.com goes to Building Hope of Summit County, so... By supporting Function, by supporting us, you're supporting Building Hope of Summit County. At checkout, use code LOVEYOU, all lowercase, save you a couple bucks, and donate to a good cause, and get a face mask. That's P-H-U-N-K-S-H-U-N-W-E-A-R.com, functionware.com. That's function with a P-H-U-N-K-S-H-U-N, wear.com. Use code love you at checkout. Again, we're donating to a great cause. You guys get dope face masks, it's a no-brainer. And now to my second sponsor this week, Burn Helmets. All season capability with you know snap out seasonal liners, which that means you can use it in the winter, put the liner in, and then come summer, you can snap out that liner and you can skate with it. Unique, low-profile designs developed from bike, skate, ski, snow, they, they just fit. They're great. They're super low profile. They really have something from, for everybody. Traditional shapes from you know the Macon, which is more snow-inspired, skate-inspired to a roadie lid like the FL-1. Of unique designs for kids, commuters, and weekend warriors. Go to burnhelmets.com, check them out. And finally, guys, now that we got through all that, I apologize that was a long intro, but I think we talked about some important shit. So finally, we are to my guest this week. Old Growth Ski Co Jonathan Jonathan capozzi uh, dear friend of mine, a ski builder. If you haven't noticed, it's been a little trend in the last three weeks. We did Doug with Full Sense co. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back two episodes and listen to that. But I've kind of been supporting the little guys because it's been fun. We did Got Bag, we did She Fly Apparel. So go back, listen to those. And now my buddy John. He's a furniture maker. He is an ex-school teacher. And he left his job to make furniture, which we didn't talk too much about, but to build furniture and build skis. So old girl skico, the graphics are amazing. Check him out on Instagram at I think it's Old GirlSkiko. I will put that in the notes and link to that. The episode was super fun. We just kind of talk. Again, it's, it's the why. Why do you think you can make better skis than Amherst Sports Group or Fisher Skis or Blizzard Skis? Really great conversation. John's such a great dude. We talk telemark skiing. We ta- You know, it's the whole kit and caboodle. It's a really fun episode. Uh, I'm, I'm me, and I went to the school of Adam Jabber, so of course my batteries died mid-interview. Not only once, but twice, so it'll clip in twice at the end, just the last 10 minutes. It doesn't make a difference, but so now you know. And yeah, enjoy the episode. It was super fun, and it's it's great to do some in-person interviews. That's time. how it happens, yeah. That's yeah, great. we're recording. We're live um, with John with Old Growth Ski Co. Ski Co? Ski Company? Where yeah, com-
1: Company Co just worked better in the graphic. Old Growth Co. See, Tell us I, about yourself, John. So yeah, I'm John, John Capozzi, uh, Jonathan Capozzi, whatever. Yeah, my parents call me Jonathan. I usually introduce myself as Jonathan. And then as it gets less formal, I lose letters to my name. Um, so yeah, i lived in Buffalo my whole life, Western New York. Grew up in Clarence, a suburb, and uh, live in Buffalo now. The only time I didn't live here was when I went to Oswego, the uh, bustling metropolis <laughs> for college and uh yeah so that's that
0: so you're you started a ski company and my first question to everybody who starts a ski company is why
1: um i was skiing and i yeah i was so a bit of a yeah the whole story i uh so i grew up snowboarding i was like into i don't know terrain park and bombing around with my friends and just i don't know doing teenager shit we would do some uh (laughs) We would like go set stuff up in parks and ride street and all that stuff too. Um, When it wasn't snowing, I rode BMX. So that was pretty much what drove me in like my teenage years was mostly riding BMX and also snowboarding in the winter. Um, So yeah, I was pretty passionate snowboarder, action sport kind of guy and then went to college. And stopped snowboarding and got really into Nordic skiing and, like, Nordic touring and backpacking and stuff. So I was bombing around in Oswego, yeah, where I went to school, which they get a ton of snow, but it's super flat, and lots of good woods and everything. So I was bombing around in the woods, doing, like, orienteering maps, like map and compass, like.
0: Like through school or just on your own?
1: Just on my own, just, like, for fun. I'd, like, scoot around, like, go to the golf courses or go to, like, the
0: nature preserves and, like. Play with a map and compass. Pretty I, th- much. I think that's important for people to hear that John made these maps for himself. I no, said. no, no. I didn't make <laughs> the maps for
1: myself. No, I was like doing the other orienteering maps. Like they're put out by like whoever else. But but
0: still, the fact that college John was like gonna do that is a testament to who you are. For yeah, I missing. mean, <laughs> we were partying
1: too, but I don't know. I would usually get out. I was like earning beers pretty much. I was really into homebrewing too, so. Yeah, that was I was like brewing beer every week, making a lot of beer. I had a kegerator that I like built out of my dorm fridge, (laughs) and uh, I'd brew a batch every Friday, and it was just like fair game on the kegerator. Everybody come over and do whatever they wanted with it.
0: So you're everyone's best friend.
1: Uh, I was like five people's best friends. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, that was so yeah. I was really into Nordic skiing, and I didn't really do any lift serve stuff through college. I was just like bombing around in the woods, and. I was in a couple situations and where I didn't have service was like at the top of a steep pitch with like Nordic gear on, just like, fuck, I have no idea what I'm doing. And like had to navigate down, like, I don't know, orienteering maps are like set up in areas with like ravines and stuff. So I'm like on edgeless Nordic skis and like, I don't know, deep snow, like just very much the wrong equipment. So I like got into telemark skiing from that and, uh following yeah so i wanted to learn how to make a telemark turn because i thought that was what you did in the backcountry and uh
0: <laughs> i like how all of my conversations turn into i was a telemark i'm a <laughs> surprise <laughs> yeah. everyone listening
1: yeah so i yeah wanted to learn i just remembered like as a kid at holiday valley watching a bunch of dudes making telemark turns being like that looks fucking cool so yeah nordic touring and then I had some friends showing me. This was after I graduated um, college. I was still doing a bunch of Nordic touring and bombing around in the woods and, like, snowboarding, lift surf, and all that, too. Um, And, yeah, I just got really into telemark skiing with the intention of, like, moving into backcountry skiing. Um, That was kind of the goal of it the whole time. I didn't know that AT gear existed at the time. Like, I was just, like, the 13-year-old version of me,
0: what it thought backcountry equipment was. Yeah, but to be fair, it was like the freaky free ride. So like at a time, Telemark gear was actually better—the yeah. better tool yeah. to get into the backcountry. And I'm yeah. still having these self struggles, like currently.
1: Yeah, so we can talk about my self struggles <laughs> later. But uh, uh, yeah. So, I, yeah, I got into Telemark skiing because that was how the backcountry was accessed, according to my opinion, and. I wanted to buy a new pair of skis. I was, like, buying used gear from friends and stuff, and I wanted to buy a new pair of skis, and I was, like, doing product research, figuring out what I wanted, and I'm looking at all these companies, and they're all just, like, multinational corporations, like, publicly traded, bottom line, not necessarily going to skiers. Like, yeah, skiers are making, like, 50 grand a year working at these companies, but... The lion's share is not going towards anybody. And not that this is like a profit motivated thing, but the people that I was going to be giving my money to were not necessarily skiers. And like, I don't know, BMX background was like you bought from BMX companies that were run by BMX riders and like that. And even snowboarding kind of had that ethos, not in the same way, but it was closer to it. So uh, I was, yeah, at that point, I knew my way around like building things. Like I built canoes and some furniture and I had like done a pretty big house renovation and I was like competent with tools and knew how to like put stuff together. So (laughs) I was like, I should just be doing that. I was doing the research and figuring out like there aren't really any independent companies in the Northeast specifically. Like there's some out west, and there are actually some in the Northeast, but they weren't really visible in the research that I was doing um so yeah I was like I can put these products together and if I do something I generally try and do a legit job of it so I was like all right if I'm gonna do this I'm gonna get like build a press with steel I beams and heated and it's not like I'm gonna take quarter 20 threaded rod and like wing nuts and try and (laughs) press it with two by fours or anything I was like I'm gonna make a pneumatic
0: bladder and build an actual press Do you think, and I don't know if this is a loaded question or not, but, like, do you think you can make a better product or an on-par product with, like, against an Amherr sports group, like Armada, Atomic, Solomon?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question, and that's something that, like, I think about myself a lot, because, like, as I'm doing this, I'm like, I've invested a lot of my time and energy into doing this, and it's like, am I doing something that is an actually, like, a Good product, or am I putting something else out that is just like, just because it's handmade? But no, I do think like you can put things together, and like the attention to detail is really high. Like I have my hands on everything the whole time. The biggest, like my mold systems, like I I make all of my own molds and all of that. I guess like the actual pressing and the cassettes, like when you're making a thousand pairs of skis, you're building like your the tooling that they have that they invest into their actual process is not necessarily making their product I don't think that much better it's just making it really efficient to produce so like what I'm doing isn't necessarily the most efficient way to produce a sk- I mean it's efficient from a material standpoint but it's not efficient from a time standpoint um but I do think or I shouldn't say not efficient. It's not as efficient as Amherst Sports building a thousand pairs of, I don't know, Armada well, it's tracers a or assembly whatever. Assembly
0: line with, yeah. with ideally at least 50 people in a factory and right. giant machines. And like, I'm in, we're in person today, people, for everyone listening, but like, I'm in your wood shop and like, I'm sure there's a process, but like.
1: Yeah, it's one by one. It's not like I'm not making a thousand pairs of one core. Like, I'm doing a core block and then each core gets milled to the shape and to the flex profile dictated by the customer. So like going back to the original question of like the quality of the product, I think the quality of the product is on par and in some cases better. Um, And I, the, a lot of it goes into like how you flatten it and tune it and like how that part of the ski is actually like, that's kind of the next major set of improvement those are the major improvements that i'm making to the process now are like getting the tunes like super dialed um but the actual construction of the ski and pressing it and so on and so forth ski technology has not changed in a long time like it's wood it's glass it's a centered ptex base like there's dampening rubber or whatever else and there's all these different layers you can use but like in the last 30 years there i should i don't know i don't want to say 30 years but in the last like i don't know 10 20 years the actual advancements in like the process and like the materials that go into it i don't think have changed very much
0: i mean we're gluing layers of wood together
1: yeah like the big advancements that i've seen are like more bio-based epoxies and more like environmental envirom- yeah they're environmental they're not performance advancements which
0: arguably could be i don't want to say they're better for a planet yeah definitely better for the it, planet but like the glue we used 30 years ago is probably better than the glue we use now.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting. So in college, <laughs> I took a polymers class and we were, I was a technology education major before I just left my teaching job of, I was there for eight years um, and I was like a high school engineering tech shop teacher. It was like a bunch of different stuff, which we can talk about too. But um, the polymers class, my instructor, I'll never forget, it, it was so funny, It's like There's just no substitute for good old
0: fashioned chemicals. (laughs) I mean, it's what's the big lawsuit? I think it was DuPont who made Teflon. Yeah. And like horrible things happened in the town. I think like there's a movie called, I think it's called Dark Waters, but it's a fantastic movie. It's probably a book, but I don't know. But they talk about when they invented Teflon and like, I think 13 women on the assembly line were pregnant. And like nine of them had birth defects and like the guys, cows were dying. Like it was a huge ordeal. And now to this day, so they've changed the product. So like Teflon that you see isn't, you know, it's just a trademark Mm -hmm. now. But like, I think at the end it says, and don't quote me on this, but it's like, it's literally like 99.9% of living things have Teflon in their body.
1: Yeah, the half life of it it does not break. It
0: does down. not break yeah. down. It never will. It's yeah. we have it, we've eaten it, we've we breathe it, we've, you know, we drink it. It's but <laughs> it was a damn good product. Yeah, and that's and that's like, like part
1: of this balance is like is a less sustainable product that lasts longer better for the environment than a more sustainable product that you need to replace three times in the same lifespan
0: like that's a great
1: those are question yeah like those are questions like what is actually when you're talking sustainability like i use the most sustainable products i can like my epoxies are bio-based um and i haven't i mean we don't have any issues with them that the epoxy i use is the same like hammer uses the same stuff it's all entropy super sap um it's not yeah like i'm not breaking the boundaries of material science with necessarily the epoxies I'm using it's like a commercially available product that exists solely for building skis and surfboards um so but yeah that's I mean something that I think about is like yeah I don't think you don't need to replace a ski that's built with super sap because that it breaks down like the half-life of the material is not as great as the lifespan of the skier using it realistically but in other areas I think that's a pretty valid legitimate question
0: what is like what is the length a ski can last? How much time can a ski last? Like what breaks down first? Is it the wood? Like if I take a two by four, and <laughs> the base it,
1: you just ruin it. Like, but
0: do they just ruin, like
1: yeah, I don't think so. Do they get like, tired? That's a good question. Like technically, there is like I uh, feel like my skis get tired. They don't. They they definitely break down the fiber. Gla- so the composite, the fiberglass, is what breaks down. I don't think the resin breaks down. To the best of my knowledge, which is not, like, I'm not a material scientist. No one here listening um, is. If they are, they'll call (laughs) us. If they are, yeah, hit me up. Shoot me an email. (laughs) Let me know. Um, To the best of my knowledge, the actual glass fibers are what break down. And the resin itself is kind of encapsulating all of that. Like, the resin impregnates the fiberglass. And the fiberglass is actual glass. Like, it does break down. Um, So that's, I think, when skis get tired... My best estimate is that a ski lasts, like, 150, 200 days. And then it's pretty cooked. Um, yeah, So that's And that depends on the actual, like, I mean, the use of it. Yeah, doing. what you're doing. Like, I don't know. You send somebody, I don't know. I had a client who just went to Big
0: Sky and torched his bases. Like. But a base is, like, that's. Yeah, you if can you, replace if you it. Pa- yeah, but if or not pay- rep- repair it. Yeah, but if you paint a car and you drive, and you, like, if you got a brand new Tacoma and you off-road it and scratch the paint like yeah there's what do you get like it's there's nothing you can do
1: i'm also i mean most
0: things are disposable
1: like the ski is unfortunately this, yeah this a ski is going if, it can last you a very long time and like 200 days is oftentimes like the length of somebody's entire ski, ski career like you get the average skier yeah. skis five to ten days a year like 10 days a year to 20 years that's the length of your ski Or that's the lifespan of your, like, the glass fibers in your ski. Right. So
0: so we're just consumers. Yeah. 98% of us. Yeah. Yep. How do you keep up with that model? Like, what is your ideal customer, your ideal, like, you want them, and maybe I'll put words in your mouth, but you want them to buy a ski like the ski and maybe buy another model of the ski.
1: I want that. Yeah, I mean, if they want to buy another ski, that's cool. I just want them to go out and ski. I don't, like, honestly, I can make a bunch of different stuff and sell a bunch of stuff. I'm su- I'm not selling skis because I want somebody to have, like, a wall, like, a quiver full of old growths. Like, I just want people to go out and, like, go skiing. Which, that's. I mean, if you want to buy four pairs of them, like, I'll build you four pairs of skis. But at the same, like, I don't know, this is a passion project more than it's, like, I'm starting a commercial venture.
0: But I, I think it's, like, I always compare skis and buying skis to cars, like, You buy the Corvette not to drive it every day, but like on that beautiful day, you take out the Corvette. So that's how I kind of look at skis and why I have a quiver and one I'm fortunate to have a quiver. And I understand that not everyone is and not everyone needs one, but not everyone has four cars in their Mm -hmm. garage either. Yeah. So it's like, you know, when I'm selling skis, people are like, well, what's the difference between that and that? I'm like, well, that's a minivan. You can drive it every day. It's got a V six. It's got might if it's Toyota Sienna. It's got all wheel drive. Hell yeah, like, that's that
1: might be the next rig for me. I want Toyota coach. to sponsor me so bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just
1: want somebody to sell
0: me a reasonably priced four wheel drive Sienna. Just give me a Sienna. <laughs> but you know what I mean. And I think it's such a great comparison because then there, like people are like, well, why would I have that ski to ski it three times a year? And I'm like, because those three days a year that you get to ski that whatever it is. When we get the
1: 12-inch day, you want the 110 wasted ski because it's like you're going to have a better day. Right. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, that was... In my motivation to be building skis was mostly like, all of these are multinational corporations and I want to build a quiver of skis. Like, I, the line of skis that I make is like, this is just the quiver that I want to have. It's like a 90-mil ski, a 100-mil ski, maybe 200-mil skis, and then like a buck 10 or a buck 12 or whatever. Like, you're east coast big ski is and then from there like playing around with different shapes just for fun but
0: so what's the process you will back up a little bit like you decide i think i can make a ski
1: yeah so it was like all right um so going back to like bmx and bike culture the there are custom builders who exist to serve the purpose of like building things for passionate consumers who want to use that product like uh, I mean, not maybe the best comparison, but, like, I was always really into, like, FBM and Terrible One Bike Company. Like, those bike companies were, like, those were the core dudes that, like, they did it.
0: People are like, like what the fuck are you talking yeah, about? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So,
1: I don't know, just, like, the smaller BMX, that stuff was super inspiring to me. And That was, like... And even, like, now I don't really ride BMX anymore, but I ride mountain bikes and road bikes a bunch. And there are frame builders and people, like interact with our frame builder and buy the stuff from them. And I don't know, that's like part of the culture for those activities is that those people, like fill a niche in that ecosystem. And I was looking at the East Coast ski ecosystem and didn't really see people filling that niche. And I was also like really interested in the production side of it. Like, as I was saying, like, yeah, I knew wood fiberglass construction from building boats, like working, it's, I don't know, bending wood, and encapsulating it in fiberglass and coating it in resins. And the process is really similar. The materials are really similar. And one, like, I make the joke, you know the Dunning-Kruger curve? No. It's like... Should I know this? The dunning So it's like uh, the experience and actual knowledge are the two axes on the graph. So, like, the y-axis is... Okay, the y-axis is perceived knowledge and the x-axis is actual knowledge, right? So you start on the graph and you're like, I know everything about this, I can like nail it. And then you like really, they call the first like bit of this curve is the valley of despair. And it's like, you realize, holy shit, I know nothing about anything. And then (laughs) as the time goes on, if you stick with it, you like continue to learn. And that's like the, uh, what is it? The something of enlightenment, like the curve of enlightenment and then You get the peak of enlightenment. I forget exactly. We'll have to look up the Dunning-Kruger. But it's pretty much like you start out and you don't know shit. And then you spend a bunch of time and you realize how much you don't know. And then once you realize, like, you get to the bottom of the valley of despair and you realize that you can start learning it and, like, actually gain it. Um, So I like to make the joke that, like, my favorite hobby is just finding the bottom of the Dunning-Kruger and, like, realizing how much (laughs) I don't know about anything. So... Yeah, that was definitely experience the Dunning-Kruger in this whole, like, ski building journey. And it was like, oh, yeah, I built boats, which are wood and glass, and they're the same. Like, if you look at the composite layers, it's the same product. But, like, it doesn't involve – it's so much less
0: complicated. (laughs) But, yeah, so. So your first pair that comes out. You know these aren't for sale. You yeah, just no. Make them. Do they hold up? Like, did you like? Yeah, they're I still got in my this? basement.
1: So, well, I like—I don't know—I made mistakes and misaligned them when I put them in the press. So, I like had the wrong center marked in the press. So, like, they were shifted back. So the side cut radius didn't match the rocker camber profile. So the side cut was further back. So like, the widest point of the ski was in the camber profile not in the rocker profile if that makes sense yeah so the whole thing was shifted back 10 centimeters is pretty much it so i skied it five days was like the first day i was like
0: this is so cool because you made it yeah and then i
1: skied it a couple more times i like knew that i fucked it up when i was doing it uh or not when i was when i took it out of the press i was like oh no what did i do and then uh and then i rebuilt it i put like five days on it And those five days were just the process of me building another pair of the same things and this honestly the second pair i still use the demo like people ski it it's got like 100 at this point it's probably got 150 days on it and people ski it and this it's a pretty clapped but i have a 75 mil binding on it and people ski it yeah
0: i I mean my favorite thing about your skis and i've seen them and i've pretty much seen it through the whole process not like intimately but even with like your first batch, it was a finished product. Yeah, I feel like a lot of ski makers, independent ski makers, small, they don't, they don't look, they look like they were made in, in a barn.
1: Yeah, my, so I just had a background in precision woodworking, and I mean finishing is the hard, like still finishing is really hard, like getting. A high quality like a furniture quality finish is really challenging there's just a lot of aspects to it but um i had i had the basics of like how to finish yeah it was like you're a craftsman know, yeah i built furniture yeah i knew what i was doing from the finishing component because it all translates really well
0: was there a conscious decision because Everyone go on the website, go on his Instagram, and look at his stuff. But it's all wood veneers are the finish. Yeah, everything's wood veneer. The top sheet is – there's not a graphic. There's no – you know, I think you just burn in your logo. Yeah, yep. But, like, was that a conscious decision?
1: Yeah, so when I'm going back to, like, the – when I was looking – the reason – I was looking at the marketplace for skis, and none of them were interesting to me. It's like, I don't know, not to – it's, like, you – it's a blank color with like some kind of clean graphic or it's like some corny mountain art. (laughs) Like, I don't know. None of it really was interesting to me. It was all like, I don't know, plastic coated wood product where, and it, so this season, like Pollard's new company, that would is pretty much the same mindset that I have towards the graphic size. Like, the graphic is not necessarily the point, which is also kind of hypocritical
0: or for counterintuitive Pollard, for,
1: for me. Well, and Pollard. Like and Pollard. Yeah, arguably so his one of the whole greatest was, artists, yeah, ski artists artist, yeah.
0: in, in our generation. I mean, in the who else has, ski generation. Who else has the reputation that he does? Yeah, and yeah, I mean, his isn't even as deep it's just different yeah he's got a whole line coming out this year which is like it's art in itself like yeah. i just want the top sheets and like if i had a hypothetical house i would just hang them up <laughs> yeah. um but not and we'll come back to you but the pollard thing is so crazy to me because it's like you literally have like one of the greatest if not the greatest ski artists ski designers that his, like
1: was his business model
0: yeah oh yeah i mean he The house he lives in was paid for by selling his graphics. Top sheets.
1: More than shapes, it was top
0: sheets. Yeah. And uh, the season thing is just like, it's cool. And what I think is even cooler than that, than just like the black graphic or like your like wood, you know, veneer, it doesn't make me feel like I buy a ski off you. It's a homemade ski. I don't like saying homemade because that makes it, But, like, it's yeah. a handmade product. So you pay a premium. You pay 900 to $1,200, presumably. And then next year you come out with something that's the same. Yeah. But I like the graphic better. And now I, like, it, so it's, like, perceived value to me.
1: Yeah, the perceived value is being on the newest year stuff. And there's definitely, like, a dick swinging contest about it where people, yeah, I don't know. People want to be on the newest year graphic. And that's, I don't know, not the point to me at the same time. Like, but I think people are buying my stuff largely because I mean, not largely, but people are interested in having a wood veneer graphic. Like the graphic is
0: still a graphic, but I think even as a set, like as a consumer, like you being the, the person selling it, you know, like as a consumer, I give you a thousand dollars of my hard earned money. And I don't feel like I got shorted next year. Yeah. Which is, like, I think really important for small brands. Yeah, and, I and think
1: then, like, you're not going to get it for 50% off in March. Right. Like, that's... like and You although, don't have any left. Yeah, anyway. no, I I don't have... I've never built a ski without somebody paying for it first. Like, I've never built stock. Right. Everything's made to order.
0: And I think the the cost, and I I believe that's important to, like, we don't have to say the cost, but... When we say you're selling a ski for thousand dollars, like you're not putting a thousand dollars in your pocket.
1: No, no, not at all. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, you don't.
1: I did. You don't start building skis because you want to like get rich. Um, there are lots of better ways to do that. But I mean, I really enjoy spending my day in the wood shop, like plugging away, listening to music, putting the product together, making sawdust, and I don't know. The worst part is actually fiberglass dust, but that's part of the territory. <laughs> Every dust, it just like gets everywhere, and is channel. I have yeah, I wear the appropriate PPE, but it still like sucks. It's tiny, tiny particles. Yeah, very small, air. very itchy. Gets everywhere. We're like, you can't wear the clothes again. Like you, it's a one time. Yeah, they're yeah, toast. It's yeah. You can wash them, obviously, but like you can't. Yeah, you're just you wear a hoodie, and like you're not wearing
0: that again. What is the hardest part of building skis? for like someone who's like listening to this and they're like, "You know, I think I can do this." Like what was like the maybe the aha moment of like, "Holy shit, this worked." Or
1: Yeah, that's a good one too. The hardest part honestly is just being persistent enough to do it. Like
0: there's That's a bullshit answer.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like what what task is the most difficult? The all of the tasks like the tasks are all transferable from something
0: else, like. But like, where did you get? Like, did you look up dimensions? Did yeah, you so designing the shapes. Something? I was, so
1: I did. So actually, you're one ski. I did. So my friend <laughs> this is a loaded question. Yeah, this is a fr- so my friend, uh, I've got a good friend who his, him and his family, they have a steel business, and uh, I knew I needed a bunch of steel I beams, and he's a. Bi- I bought his old telly Like I bought skis from him, like used skis. And I was like, I want to build some skis, and I need a bunch of steel I-beams. Do you want to trade a ski, a future ski, for all this steel? And he's like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, totally, let's do it. And I was like, well, what do you want? What, like, I gotta, I'm making shapes. I didn't actually ski this shape, but I took your – he was like, I skied Adam's Libtech Tech Wonder Stick. That's what it's called, right? Wonder yeah, that's stick. what it was. It's like I it skied Adam's Libtech Tech Wonder Stick and loved it and just make me that. So I like, borrowed the ski from you and got out the dial calipers and
0: and just drew made it. a
1: clone. I'm yeah, drew dial calipers every like centimeter or two down the ski and like figured out what the the challenge with that was it was magnet traction,
0: which was probably a great first ski to make. Yeah, it was actually <laughs> awful, but
1: <laughs> yeah, the first, it wasn't the first ski I made. I made uh, so that dark side shape was the first ski that I was making and still like the most popular ski. Um, but I was, yeah, I got out the dial calipers and plotted the points and drew it in CAD software and sent it to, at that time I was sending all my CAD drawings to a guy with a router and he was cutting all my templates for me. Um, so yeah, I'd draw everything and then he would cut it out and I built that ski that was, uh, yeah, copy of, it didn't like in theory, it was a copy in actuality. It was, uh, quite different
0: <laughs> i don't think it good it, or bad
1: um uh, it was like too stiff the rocker camera profile was it didn't the rocker camera profile didn't match the other ski it was close but it didn't like if the goal was to copy that ski i was not necessarily successful yeah like if like, they took
0: you to court you'd be like go ski that
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah copyright infringement my ass this is nothing close yeah no it was a uh, it was a fun experiment though and i haven't I still have the molds, but I haven't made it again. But uh, as far as, like, how to design the first ski, I, like, was doing demo days. And I, like, borrowed a set of alpine boots from a friend and got, went to the demo day and skied a bunch of stuff. And found a couple things I liked and looked at the dimensions. And at the time, like, one part of my job teaching was teaching uh, introduction to engineering design, which is pretty much a CAD class, like, technical drawing, design process work um so i was competent in yeah competent cad software so i was like looking at the dimensions figuring everything out and putting the shapes together that way and like actually taking physical skis and measuring them like you're looking at the dimensions on the website and then yeah bust out the dial calipers and figure out what are the actual contact points what are the widths what are the radiuses like did the are the radiuses that they say copacetic with like the radiuses that i'm getting based on like the widest and narrowest points of the ski and like just doing a bunch of pretty much reverse engineering other shapes um from production companies and figuring out what i wanted to do differently i think like realistically i'm not like, i didn't grow up a ski racer like i don't have like that kind of foundation but my foundation is i understand cad drawings and how geometry works and i feel like that's pretty important to how i mean obviously you need to be able to relate that to how it's going to affect the performance of a ski but understanding how the actual like compound
0: radiuses work or radii was a pretty important part of that yeah and i think you know you said you're not a ski racer and actually Jabber and I were just talking about this like Jabber and I are self-proclaimed like bad skiers like I'm not a good skier yeah but I can tell you if a ski is good or bad
1: yeah if you can if you can put enough force into the ski to bend it and see like how it moves your vocabulary and perception is more important than like how fast you can make it down a slalom course
0: Right. Well, it's just totally different. It's just what you know versus, yeah. like, a, you know, a guy who races NASCAR versus a guy who races, you know, IndyCar. Like, both great drivers. Yeah. But, like, the guy who gets in the NASCAR might not be able to understand. I mean, they can drive. But, like, why doesn't this car do what it's supposed to right yeah. now? Or, like, and that's what, again, Jabber and I were just talking about is, like, I'm not a good skier, but I can tell you if a ski is good or why it is. I don't think it is. That yeah. doesn't mean it's not good for somebody else.
1: Yeah, and like this is totally subjective stuff. Like everybody's yeah, experience, people ski honor- faction. Yeah. <laughs> I got some broken factions <laughs> in my basement. They're not mine. They're other people broke them and were like, I really like the ski, but I warranted three of them in 15 days of skiing. And
0: uh it's gonna be candied's done. Yeah, I know. It's- that was
1: so yeah, one of my friends. That I ski with a bunch. He's on a set of bark eaters, but he had um, he had a bunch of different Candides, and they just kept breaking. Like they ski great, fully but exploding, they don't last so like, like five uh, days. Yeah, he had three pairs of them, and they lasted five days apiece. And uh, it was just—it's a polonia core with a metal top sheet, and the metal top sheet just fully separates in the ski delams. It's like
0: it's just the bonding process, right? Yeah. Like they're so not- yes. But they haven't. Cha- I mean, what we? I could do a whole podcast on faction. I and cannot like how believe they've survived off just having candy. candy.
1: I can't believe that he. I was also skeptical of him actually skiing. there. I mean, I don't know. He He's goes really. Be on he doesn't have to be. I. So that was another like, going back to BMX background. Like all of the companies that. Were like bigger, kind of like Huffy, for example. Like none of those dudes rode Huffies. They rode S and M's with Huffy graphics. Well, on. right. So, I
0: yeah. You think he's on like a Solomon blank with just a faction? I have no idea. I don't know.
1: I cannot imagine. Judging like my I friend's just think a good he
0: skier. He a new ski every week. Yeah, I don't know. Like every day, he just skied a new. Or they do like he gets the handmade one, and then they put him into the yeah. Process. So they
1: he's if he's on that or if he was on that ski at all i would imagine that it's not a production model
0: because they're totally well not even not a production model but just like like pete for scale makes k2 line skis and like they have a, a, a yeah like a wood shop in yeah yeah so yeah. like those are the skis that go into production but like that's a handmade so they're not making in austria point. yeah, yeah. So they have like, a proto lab so much. it's like i think that's just what Candide is on is like yeah. The actual ones that come out of like whoever, Sven, who's making them in his yeah. wood shop.
1: I would say that's more like, I'm out of my depth in that because I don't actually, I don't know know, what we're he's all on. speculating. Yeah. But like,
0: it does seem crazy that like that brand, No, anybody who's had a pair of factions has warranted them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like I was saying, my friend Tim is a good skier, but he's not Candide. And he's got, yeah, he's
0: three pairs in 15 days is like, yeah, and he's skiing uh, nothing. Like, yeah. He's not, like, hawking cliffs. No, and, like no. He's just He's, skiing. like, skiing on
1: piste yeah. or, like, in the trees. I don't know, in New York State. Yeah, we're like not. The, yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know about... I, BMX Pros used to not ride their sponsor-correct stuff. They just had sponsor-correct graphics. That was a pretty well-known thing in that industry i don't know how it translates to the ski industry because i didn't kind of come up in it the same way but uh i you
0: know. don't know i, I really do. i would love i'm curious to see what he does next i think um we got a lot of dms about it people were saying norse i think there's a company called norse yeah Skis. norse
1: that would i don't know where they would have the money to do that
0: i think they just like a company like that just gives like ownership yeah, like, like actual equity. Partner. Yeah, you give equity, and yeah. I have no. This is pure speculation um, for anyone if listening. Candied wants a hundred percent equity in old growth. Hit me off, dude. You have. <laughs> no, you gotta have a percentage. Yeah, no. That was always my line for Shark Tank. Like, I'd be the guy who go in and be like, "I'm gonna give you this. Like, I I'm seeking ninety or two percent, like or ninety eight percent, and like three million dollars. And you guys just, you guys are smarter than me. Yeah, you can have it. Send me a royalty check for two percent for the rest of my life, and like I will be out of your life like yeah. why do I want to pretend to run this business? <laughs> like, yeah.
1: yeah that's I mean, yeah what's the what's your core competency like mine is not necessarily running a business, it's building a product.
0: yeah, but like I'm a like if it's if it was snowing today, I would have canceled this all right we wouldn't yes. be doing that like so like I can't run I don't have the self, yeah control or awareness to like be responsible yeah the fact that i haven't like missed a wedding for a powder day is just like, <laughs>
1: like it's not a lot of wedding, A, in the a testament <laughs> to who
0: i am as a human no but we got a lot of norse uh a lot of people i think it's norse yep a lot of people said he was going to start his own company but that like that seems like a crazy investment at this point um not to talk about candied, but it is like a it's yeah That's it's i'm curious interesting and it's like or do you just is he just done? Like, Seth Morrison skis on uh, – what is he on? He skis on Blizzard skis, but he spray paints them black. Yeah. Because he just doesn't – he's done. He just goes skiing for himself, and he doesn't want to – Blizzard would pay him. Like, they're not going to pay him millions upon millions. But even if Seth Morrison came out with an edit right now, like a Candied style edit, yeah. it would break the internet. So, like, they would pay him. We asked him to be on a podcast. He, he answered, and he was like, I have no reason to talk. Yeah, I'm out. Which is refreshing. Cheers, yeah, good for you, it's man. Like, that's awesome. Like, you want what you can't have, and, like, that's Jabber's, like, that's his one and only. <laughs> and, like, and like hats off to him for responding and just being like, I have nothing yeah. to say, yeah, which is, like, sad. Because he gave so much to the ski industry, and he just, like, something happened. I don't know. I mean, I'm, again, I'm speculating, yeah. but, like, but, again, he's, he spray paints his skis black. Like, Cheers, man. I know the U.S. sales manager of Blizzard will give him skis <laughs> if he just, like, skis them and yeah. doesn't. And then, like, it's refreshing.
1: Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, it's fun when, I don't know, people are just passionate about it. He's still out skiing probably 100 days a year.
0: Oh, yeah, but that's all he wants. He's probably the, in Chamonix yeah. just skiing. Yeah. Like, that's where all the – heroes go to die like they just like <laughs> yeah. leave me alone no one cares who you are because the local <laughs> who lives in chamonix is better than them yeah like and then just like yeah i don't care who you are this is like this is a whole nother world here welcome yeah. like i mean glenn plake went there and learned how to guide and they were like you you aren't even close and yeah. he i and-
1: was i just heard some chamonix stories while i was on that trip the guide that we were with spent like a couple months out there and he was just talking about how gnarly it was. And just, like, not Normal. even. Yeah, like, the top of La Grave, like, the top of that uh, tram or Gandhi or whatever it is. Like, the one side is, like, crevassed glacier. And the other side is the gnarliest shit you've ever seen. And people go up there to the
0: restaurant, get bombed, and then
1: ski and down ski It's, it. like. Yeah. Yeah. It's...
0: Meanwhile, we have, like, Corbett's, which is. Gnarly in itself, but like yeah. I'd love to see like the rescues out of Corbett's versus yeah, like off the tram. They just,
1: I mean, I've never skied in Europe, but they definitely do it different. Like, it's there's an insurance, like you have you either pay for your rescue or you have rescue insurance. Yeah, it's and a there's very no, there's no patrol off piece, you're
0: just you're in it. It's accountability, which yeah. is refreshing. Yeah, because we have a perceived, perceived of that safety. <laughs> well, we have perceived safety when we go skiing. Like, yeah, inbound slides happen, and everyone's like blown away. And like, obviously, I don't want any of that to happen. But like, we're mitigating risk. We're not avoiding it. Like, it's yeah, not. Yeah. And when I think we ski at resorts, we don't think it can happen. Yeah. And it's, it's like, when you go out there, it's like, oh no, like you can die here really easily. Yeah. And like, it's just another day. Yeah. Unfortunately.
1: Yeah. When, when I was, it was like my 13th birthday or something. My dad took my friends and I to holiday Valley and like rented a place in snow pine next to the wall. And it was the night the wall slid in like the mid two thousands, we woke up in the morning and like this 200 foot pitch of 40 degrees slid like to the ground. It was like four or five feet of snow on it. There was like a monster crown, and there was a bunch of people outside looking at it. I have pictures of it on my computer still. It was crazy,
0: but it was like a recordable slide. It was like they like it's like noted.
1: It was like four or five foot crown. like yeah. the whole thing went to grass. It's it was like all snowmaking snow, not like
0: <laughs> no, but it's funny, and it's like we are, we're so spoiled on the East Coast because we don't. I don't say we don't have to worry about it, but we worry about it a lot less. Yeah, like I the
1: can. anxiety level is pretty low, and like i was t- going out on that trip and you the hazard on the east is direct like you're in a slide path and the only reason you know you're in a slide path is because it's open right and like because it's slid <laughs> and, right. and then you go out and i don't know explore a- like actual alpine terrain and it's like rolling and connected and like the hazard like just your perceive, like my level of anxiety in the terrain was higher, mostly because like it's the objective hazard is so much more challenging to navigate. And I mean that trip was like guided, and it's not like we were. It yeah, was but a guide also safe.
0: assumes safety, and it's. it's I was not.
1: So, yeah, I was so impressed by those individuals, though, and they're just like they spend 150 days a year ski touring, in complex alpine terrain. Like they're they're not they're in they're fallible like they're humans, but they were really dialed. It was like a really interesting glimpse into that side of the sport. They're like on the east I don't know around here we're bopping around in the woods like
0: right just totally different yeah. But it's the thing with guiding, uh, and I just interviewed Dan Corn and yeah, it was fun to listen to. He. You know, off the record, we talk a little bit. And uh, he didn't say anything bad. The guy's nothing but kindness. But you always get, like, a little, you know, we're on a podcast. We're not going to go. But, like, I said it to him, so I'm not putting words in his mouth. But, like, you can't choose your clientele. Yeah. And, like, the people who are going in on heli trips aren't usually you and I. No, like, they're not even very good skiers. Yeah. They're lawyers and doctors who go on one ski trip a year. Yeah. So, like, that was – it was fun to hear a guides take on that because like you don't get to pick who you
1: it was. So the guide that we were with, he was telling us the story of the week before he's like, I'm unloading this girl's stuff into the lodge out of the heli. And she's on like an 85 wasted 150 centimeter, like ski with a frame binding on it. Like, you're in British Columbia and we are going to get a meter and a half of snow this week. And he was like, I was teaching this woman how to ski at this hut. He's like, it was all, like, from my perspective, it was awesome. It was just like He's a just super out. fun, yeah. easy day. He's like in the sauna by two o'clock. Like he said, it was like the best, it was like a real. it was like a rest week for him. He's like going hot to hut to hut like m- for a month straight, like four weeks sort of guiding in a row. Yeah. You get a client where you're teaching them how to ski. and like, He's like, it was awesome. It was, like, hanging out. Yeah. We were just, like, laughing. They were having a blast. But, uh, I mean, with us, not that we were doing, like, monster days, but we were ski touring eight hours a day. Yeah, like, you could ski. Yeah.
0: You were, you know, you didn't. He was
1: breaking trail for eight hours a day. Yeah.
0: I actually, my, fun fact, I've only had a guide once. Uh, at Tux, I took a, like, a three-day, like, advanced expert backcountry yeah. skiing course. And we got nuked on, like, three, four-foot up at Mount Washington, which isn't good for skiing Mm because you can't ski it. So we went to Golf of Slides. Hence the name, like shouldn't go in there, but we just skied the woods there. There's some pines there that you can ski. And uh, Mike Croco and I broke our guide and he was like dying because he was breaking trail. And we're like, get behind (laughs) us. Like you (laughs) take a break. And we broke trail, which is like, excuse me, like, which is like, Right. not what they're supposed to do but yeah. it was cool and it was a, always it was a huge laugh i learned so much from that yeah because like if he would have went down we really would have went down and he was a machine but like we what we were doing was exhausting so we yeah. broke trail and he was like so personally defeated and like mad <laughs> but like hilarious and yeah. like and it was it was like our third day together so he was like at you this know.
1: point, you had a rapport, and it was cool. Yeah, right? and
0: he was like, F you guys, you know? And yeah. we're like, no, you are getting behind us. Croco was rolling cigarettes, because that's what they do in the <laughs> Alps. Yeah. And him and Croco were just smoking cigarettes while I broke trail, and then we'd switch. But it was, like, one of the greatest experience. But it was such a learning. Yeah. And, like, I've ran into him a couple more times in life, but I'm always like, I want to, like, tell him that, like, I learned more from you admitting Yeah, that you were, like, like, either we were going to stop and go back down or we were going to break trail. But, like, I learned more from that experience than, like, if he would have toughed it out and bonked. Like, that yeah. wouldn't have done anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was really impressive to watch just, like, how hard those guides work and just how professional they are. I mean, I my experience is limited to two individuals. But uh, I guess from taking, like airy courses and stuff other folks too but they're just beasts in the mountains and they just have such a well-rounded understanding of the terrain and the snow and what's going on and they're like i guess i was talking to them about their paths to like become a guide and how long it takes and what they actually have to do and it's like i don't know a 10-year process to get to at least where they were it took them 10 years to get certified and they were both like certified for about 10 years past that. But yeah, just the depth of knowledge that they had was so impressive. That was like, I learned so much just watching them work. Like, you get to the top of a pitch and you look down at the skin track, and it just like was a piece of art. Like, just gently following all of these terrain contours and like, avoiding all of the objective hazard. And like, just really, really cool. And then, I don't know, they're just doing actual control work. like. Skiing stuff, triggering it intentionally, like ski cutting it, and not. Some of it was like just straight skiing it and triggering. Like this is a blind roll. It's gonna. There's a ten centimeter slab pocket. It's gonna go, and you're gonna ski over the crown and on the bed surface. And like this is what you're gonna do, and like don't go off the side.
0: Yeah, and they, and then exactly what happens. they say happens. It happens. Yeah, yeah. It's just the- really,
1: really impressive. Like just how they're able to anticipate things. I don't know. I just love watching like it's a trade, like being a guide is totally a trade and watching a skilled tradesman is so fun for me. Like watching a, a, anyone from anything. a chef, they're a master of yeah, the craft. And they I just... love watching like a talented, engaged professional. Like there's nothing more fun. It's just, it's entertainment and you're just watching, you can see like the nuances of their movements and all of this like trained muscle memory. That's just like, you're fucking dialed but and the, this is what you do i
0: think specifically with guiding and maybe a couple other roles but i think it's never the same like you skied some terrain yesterday it's not the same yeah like yeah that. totally so like they are like they're like always computing but like meanwhile just putting on a face like they're like talking to you yeah. like how was breakfast that and was they're so- like and they're just on like they're like Calculating all this stuff in their brain. Yeah, it was really, really cool. And like, you
1: can see their brains. Like you can watch their brains. They're robots. Yeah, It's really cool. It was. I learned a lot from them as individuals, and they were just both super,
0: super nice guys. Where did you? Because everyone else listening is like, what the hell? Yeah, are these was, guys yeah. About? No, where context. did you go?
1: So I went to um, Mount Carlisle Lodge in British Columbia. It's like Interior BC. Um, it's in the like Selkirks, right near the Purcells kootenai is like the main kind of region i guess um and we did a hut trip so you fly in get dropped at a lodge spend seven days ski tour like literally eight hours a day seven days straight we had it's it was it's a little bougie it was a little bougie yeah Yeah, like like you had a sauna we had a sauna we had a chef we had it was that's the way to do it though i think
0: for like a regular mo if you're going to take a vacation yeah you want a ski tour it was a vacation for sure
1: um I mean, it, it was a work trip. We were, it was a prototyping R&D. Very, very, <laughs> Listen, was, I'm not the IRS. I you? was working the whole time.
0: Um, <clears throat> I am not the IRS. <laughs> but, but they're listening.
1: Um, no, so, yeah, it was just th- – th- that was another one. So talking like watching a chef work, the chef that we had was so good. He was
0: – He's probably just skis every day too. He actually respect. didn't
1: – he was a skier, but he didn't bring skis that week, and he didn't ski at all. But he was super nice guys, dude Jesse – and, like, the food was incredible. Everything was homemade. Homemade bread every day. It's you unbelievable. Sh- like, these meat towers of, for shawarma. Like, homemade shawarma meat tower. It was incredible. Like, grilled ahi tuna. Just all the food. It
0: was a vacation. This is a food so, podcast. Now. Yeah,
1: it's a food podcast. Still cheaper than going to Val for
0: a week. Like, yeah, all I think things that's considered. People, like, like, I it, think that's a misconception. Yeah. Like, that, like, these things are... They're expensive.
1: Yeah, it wasn't free, but it also, like... An epic pass and lodging in, yeah, Breckenridge is going to be more expensive.
0: What is one thing that you wish you knew prior to going on a trip like this? Because I think that's the fear. Like, it's just, you're talking about anxiety.
1: Yeah, so I was thinking, I mean, before it, I was like, I don't know. I'd never, I've spent time in the backcountry on the East Coast. You're never ready. And, yeah, I mean, I didn't really know. I mean, I had an idea of what I was getting myself into, but I didn't know, like, I don't know. What's the train going to be like? What's the snow? Like, I don't know. There's just like a lot of unknowns, but once I got there and like was with the group and the group is really cool and all of the, the people that we were with were super fun and the guys were fantastic. And it wasn't it. Yeah. There were, my biggest worry going into it was like, am I going to be the slowest one? And it's, that's not necessary. I wasn't like, I don't know. But, and even if I was like, everybody was super cool. Like, the slowest people in the group were like like uh, the up is more important than the down as far as like actual speed and something like that but Everybody was so cool and accommodating and, like, fun. Like, (laughs) So someone said on, like, the first day, they're like, if by the third day you don't know who the dick on the trip is, it's probably you. (laughs) And I was like, the third day, I was like, nobody's a dick, is it me? (laughs) But, no, I mean, everybody was so, like, I don't know. It was just, like, the crew was awesome. The people who worked there, the guy, the chef, everything was an incredible time. But, yeah, it had, yeah, it was bougie. There was, like, a sauna. The sauna, granted, is, like, a shed with a wood
0: stove in it and no power. Yeah, but it's nicer than my sauna.
1: Yeah, it's not. Yeah, the sauna <laughs> I have at home doesn't exist, so it was pretty sweet. But yeah, it was uh, hopefully not a once – hopefully I'll be doing this annually. It was a really awesome experience.
0: And I think it's one of those trips you can just, like, put it in and, like, you go over here. Like, I yeah. go on a fishing trip every Memorial Day weekend. Like, yeah. that's what I'm doing that weekend, and I think more people need to normalize – you know, like just putting, Annual. like giving yourself time to do yeah. stuff. And it's hard and it costs money and I understand, yeah. but planning things is so hard right now. And people are like, I don't know, maybe, including myself. Yeah. And I find when I just put put it stuff on the calendar. in, like I'm going. You and just have to. Yeah. And people call me, hey, what are you doing? I'm going here. I'm yeah. doing that. And we need to like, you know, do that. And as you said, it's just, it's cheaper than going to Aspen yeah. for the weekend. Yeah.
1: Like. yeah totally yeah the whole thing was and so we're in buffalo which is close to toronto and Tor- flying in canada from toronto is super cheap so i mean it, it was six dollars day to park a car near toronto airport like take the shuttle and everything and it's a couple hundred dollars for a direct flight to Calgary. it's just like a really logistically from buffalo it bc is not that hard the hardest part was getting to the actual staging area because it was like eight hours from the Calgary airport. We skied on the way out and we did like, but the way back was a haul yeah. and we were doing it like as nice of a trip as it was. We still did it like ski bump style and we rented this on Turo. We rented a 2004 Honda, Hyundai, uh what was it? Rio, a Kia Rio. Oh, nice. 2004 that nice. Kia Rio had snows on it and <laughs> the radio didn't work. We did like 1500 kilometers in this <laughs> car with no radio. And that, yeah, it was the guy I went with. We had a bunch of fun. It was, yeah, great trip.
0: That's amazing. I'm jealous. I was jealous when you told me you were going. I was like, damn it. Yeah. Well, maybe next year. next year, yeah. Gotta put a date in now. That's the key. So the thing, those guys that
1: go, the guy who organizes it, pretty much like they have a year, he has a week with the guide booked. And the guide books a trip at a different lodge every year.
0: So that's how they organize it. That's amazing. Yeah. So it doesn't like, matter where you go. I mean, it does matter where you go. Yeah, but they like said those all the huts are incredible. They're not going anywhere that sucks. <laughs> they're not like putting up
1: like, potty I bag. want the chef's schedule. Like, where are you going to be, Jesse? <laughs> Seriously. It's important.
0: Food's yeah. important. Um, we'll wrap this up a little bit. What's the best way? This doesn't have to be a quick answer, but what's the best way for people to buy skis off of you?
1: So that's a funny... I've thought about that a bunch. So the process for purchasing them is uh, mostly you go on the website and you put in a deposit, and then from there we talk nuts and bolts. You can message me and I'll answer any questions. But like to get on the schedule, you put a deposit in. And there's on the website there's a thing, a purchase tab, and you can look through it. It's like uh, it's a four hundred dollar deposit. It's key start at nine ninety nine. And then move up from there, depending on level of customization. So, I have shapes listed, and all those shapes with like a domestic veneer um, are 9.99. And then if you wanted to move into like a custom width, like what's in the press right now that's cooling down is um, a dark side in a 104 width, um, which I've wanted to make for a while, but it's not like a shape that I offer. Um, but the customer wanted it, Mike. You wanted it, so I was like, this is a good yeah, time to do it. So happen. yeah. Um, so yeah like changing plans like changing side cuts and everything and working within the rocker camber profile is of the existing shapes and models and sizes um the rocker camber molds are the expensive part and like the time consuming ones to make whereas the actual like side cut radius i can is a hundred dollars extra and then for a full custom ski is an extra 300 so from thousand to 1300 for now we'll see uh how much inflation keeps going up. So I bought all my materials in the summer, which was cheaper than buying. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I buy all the stuff in like usually may for a season of ski ski building, but uh, prices have gone up significantly. So we'll see.
0: Yeah. And this is my, this is like my favorite question to ask people who make skis. How do you get the consumer to build the ski that they want? Because a lot of good skiers don't like. I don't know. I mean, I I'm per- fairly pr- familiar with yeah. materials, but like, how do you you know? When I photograph weddings, I assume they're not models. So yeah. How do I make them look like models? Yeah. So when you're when you're building a ski for somebody and you give them all these options, you're like, oh, do you want? Graphene, I pretty much dictate to them want, like, what
1: they what I think they should get. Okay. So I'll uh, take any feedback that you might have based on your like level of Competent like perceived confidence or competence with like how like what, you know, Um, I don't know. I was
0: asking you my battery's died guys. I'm a horrible podcast host. I'm sorry for everybody listening. But we are back. Um, I was asking you how you get to like how you describe. To your consumer, what they actually want. And you yeah. were saying you kind of like, yeah, so pretty much explain to them what they want.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, certain individuals, like the ski that's in the press right now, like the kid, you know, yeah, Mikey. Yeah. Super nice kid, ripping skier, knows what he likes, knows what skis he's on and what he doesn't like about them. Like he's on a Sakana, and the tip isn't stiff enough so, so the, you should be on a blade so the all well, the dark so dark side's got a 15 meter radius i bump it out to 104 and i put i mean laid it up with a bunch of extra carbon and we talked about like exactly what he wanted for wits and that's like super fun We're like hanging out drinking a beer and drawing a ski in cad i don't know it's just like that's it's for me that's super fun but like for the average bear who like wants a groomer zoomer like, you want this, you pro- you want the eerie shape, you might want a little bit of carbon, you probably want a little extra fiberglass to give it a little extra weight, a little more dampness, um, and just kind of explain to people what I think they want. And generally, they're receptive to that. Um, but, yeah, that's mo- the process is pretty much like, you put in a deposit and we dial in exactly what you're going to get and what you think you want. And if you want to get a fancy top sheet, like there's exotics that are available for a little bit extra money. Um, And there's a bunch of domestics. I pretty much show people what I have in stock or they tell me what they kind of want from like a shade or like a grain pattern or whatever. And then I'll go through my supplier and pick it out. We have a really good veneer supplier in Western New York. Um, They like sell, all the veneers to like the burden custom Fact, like it's they're so funny that suit- it's, here. Yeah, it's yeah, it's wild. We have like certainly wood is I would say the biggest veneer supplier in the United States and the salesman lives down the street from me and puts the stuff on my doorstep at like six PM. That's amazing The other day I had like needed something for this batch that I'm running through right now and I called up Dan at four o'clock and at six o'clock they're on my door.
0: That's amazing. It
1: was just yeah. Yes. Veneer supplier. We were talking we about your
0: veneer supplier and yeah. how he lives down the street from you. And, and my batteries died again because I'm garbage. But, but we're plugged in now. We're here. We yeah, have no, we shore have, power.
1: This is barring, yeah, barring a wind event, <laughs> we're good. Um, yeah, the uh, yeah veneer suppliers down the street, they have literally everything. They're super good. or They're not down the street, but the salesman lives down the street. He drops it off at my house. Super nice guy. Family-owned business. Um, yeah, just like people i'm happy to work with and support and the product is super nice too
0: yeah and i think that would be like what you hope and what you expect people who are buying your skis think like that's yeah. like because i always like why am i going to buy and i don't mean this in a jerk way but like the consumer's like why am i going to buy a ski from you for a thousand when i can buy oh whatever yeah, last year's from t- yeah evo.com for a dollar like yeah. and i think that you know the answer is like i get to like sit and if i you know enjoy a nice sierra nevada hop water with you <laughs> and like talk about it and like yeah. that's you know they're not for everybody so
1: and, and that's like what i was saying earlier with like going back to like the bike industry where they're like there are frame builders that if you want something special like you want something either you want something really specific or you want something that is not produced by a multinational publicly traded company. Like, yeah, you can get like, I own like bikes. I have a giant and I have a Cannondale and I also have like a Dean and they're made in Colorado and they're like cool Thai bikes. And like,
0: there's something special. Yeah.
1: I'm more, I'm much more stoked on the Dean that I have than I am like my giant cyclocross bike. Like the giant cyclocross bike is sweet. It's, I don't know. It's a fun bike. It's fast. It's like, I don't know. It's light. It's stiff. It's got DI2 and disc brake. Like, it's a sweet bike. But uh, the Dean, I don't know. It's Thai. It's, it's fun. It's, it's just cool
0: to know where your money goes. Yeah. And I would, like when I hand you a $1,000, like I know that. 700 of it goes to materials and then you put 40 hours into it and you get a dollar. Yeah. And at least you got that dollar. Yeah. (laughs) And then
1: hopefully I can go to British Columbia. (laughs) Right. For sure.
0: I put that, I mean, I think it's, you know, and I always try to drive that home, like the why, right? Like it's always the why. And why do we, why do we ski? Why do we spend so much money on it? Why do we buy from certain places? And I think, you know, with like independent ski makers and, I think it's the process that's so important.
1: Yeah, and, and people wanna be engaged in that. And like most of what I do is building furniture. And we didn't really touch on that at all. But most of what I'm doing is, yeah, building I don't know, tables, dressers, desks, like benches, furniture, all kinds of other stuff. Like I just yeah, built out a bar. That's people wanna be engaged in the process, which like when they come to me to buy furniture, like It's the same reason they come to me to buy a ski is like there's not something that's exactly what they want in the size, in the shape, in something. They are trying to solve a problem by buying a product, whether that product problem is they want to just buy a product or whether (laughs) that is like I need a table for this space and I can't get like, I don't know, Stickley doesn't make a bench that's 12 inches deep. So you have an arrow foyer and I make you a 12 inch bench that is in the same similar like mission style it matches your other stuff like that's an example I don't build a ton of stuff in mission style but I have because stickley didn't make what they wanted and uh, right. the rest of their house is all of that whatever um, so the why is they want to be engaged in the process in a different way um, like going to a ski shop and experience like, just looking at the stuff on the wall and having an experience is one experience and some people want to know who is making it more than just like where are they buying it and where is the money going like who are they giving money to and that like for me personally like that's what I was interested in is like where is my money going to like I do not buy a Mega Pass because I don't want to give Vale Resorts, my money. Like, I work, I work too hard to give Rob Katz my money.
0: Yeah, and I think. He doesn't, he
1: hasn't earned it. He no, doesn't, like, they, yeah. I don't he know. doesn't care. He doesn't That's care. That's the worst part. That's so, but like, like, I buy an Indy Pass, and it's awesome because you show up at those mountains, and the GM is in the kitchen. Like, yeah, I was, because the c- went to they Magic. Off, yeah. yeah, I went to Magic, and Jeff Hathaway was literally, like, sweeping the floor. Like I don't think Robcats has held a broom in the last twenty years, like that. Who are who are
0: you giving your money? And I think we're shifting as consumers a I, little yeah, bit. Yeah, I, I definitely
1: like, I agree with that. I think people are starting to care more. Um, some people want like the premium experience at the bargain price, and like if that's what you want, like go wait in line. But if <laughs> yeah. you, but if you want like. A pr- if you want not like if you want to have a really good experience like go ski magic it's super fun
0: yeah and magic I think when the epic and icon thing had happened they were like not epic not iconic just magic
1: yeah and that like I'm using them as an example because it's a super fun place to go skiing um, right it's a
0: great mountain yeah it really is but it's not an ad for magic but it's just it's those homegrown places but if it's... magic
1: wants to sponsor me I would drive <laughs> no <laughs> but, seriously, we'll drive but like there yeah, it's, I don't know, who, that was why I wanted to do this in the first place, was like, I didn't want to give Ammer my money, I don't, like, they, I'm sure they hire a lot of really good employees, um, but it's, I, don't, I don't, yeah,
0: know. no, I don't think that's a shot, I don't think, I think it's, it's cool to hear, and it's refreshing, and I think it's a fun answer, Because there's no right answer. Some people are like, I think I can make a better ski, or I think I can make a better product. And I don't think necessarily the people making skis think they're making a better or worse product. Yeah. And maybe I'm speaking for all of them, but I think they just really enjoy the process. And I think there's a niche market for people who want something specific, and they want to enjoy that process, and they understand the quality and care that comes out of that. And that's, you're, you're part of something. Yeah. You're definitely
1: part of something. Like I have customers like text me all the time. They're like, I was in the lift line with another one of your customers. It's this person. And like, that's so fun for me. Like to hear, I don't know, too. It's like, yeah, you're creating a cult. Yeah. You're part of a club. Like Like you, you see somebody else with like a pair of my skis in the lift line. And like, Your buddies, like you, it's like telemarking. You just have to be friends instantly, yeah, whether you you want to or not. Yeah, like regardless of anything else in your life, like you give that free heel and nod, like you know they know.
0: I still do it, but my heel's locked, and now they just (laughs) fucking look at me, and I'm like, I'm a poser. I'm shame doing shame.
1: Yeah, so I think I don't know. People want to be a part of something that they think is cool and if i can help facilitate that like not i don't know that's so fun for me it's like super rewarding and like cool and like yeah at the same time like if i can spend my day in the shop building stuff and like i don't know listen to music hang out do my thing
0: yeah quit your job build skis yeah, and like, furniture yeah this <laughs> is pretty
1: much it so i mean my job was fun i liked the job i had gone to school every year of my life since 94 yeah i, mean, I had never that's... missed a year of school until this year yeah that's
0: insane yeah it was and like it's for everyone listening quit your job chase your dreams
1: yeah i mean quitting it was <laughs> uh, it hasn't even been a full year since i left teaching but i can't imagine going back at this point like i mean i like i was saying i really enjoyed it the kids were great like it was a really fun job like i thought I had the best job in the building like I would get I don't know engaged students it was a special content area it's not like I'm teaching like 10th grade English to a bunch of kids who don't want to read their books it's like kids who I don't know we're doing design build projects and I don't know building designing structures or building bridges or I did I taught some woodworking courses occasionally and like we were yeah doing all of that and uh that was super fun. Like, the kids loved it. But, I don't know, I had so many state-subsidized chicken fingers, I just <laughs> had to get out.
0: But it. I think it's just refreshing to, like, like your job didn't suck. Your life no. didn't suck. No, life was But it bit... wasn't what you wanted to do.
1: Yeah, so I, I was just, like, getting less and less engaged in it, and that feels shitty. Like, you're doing something, and, like you feel like you're phoning it in in a way and it just like doesn't feel fair to the kids or like the people you're working with and yeah my brain wasn't there my brain was like my brain was in the shop building either yeah furniture and skis like i was that's where but that's
0: a testament to who you are as a human yeah like in general um you know i haven't known you super super long but we've you know definitely built like a friendship four or five years yeah and like The fact that you were like, I'm not giving enough to these students is like, you know, a nod to who you are as a human being. So that's thank you. It's refreshing. And it's like I love like the you know, I've I've always preached like if you're not happy, fucking quit. Yeah. And I know people can't always do that. But I don't think it means I think people assume that because you quit your job, like you don't have to work like you pro- you arguably probably work more. I
1: work way more now than I did when I was like the we used to joke at school about teaching like golden handcuffs, man. 180 days a year. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. you're. it's yeah, too good to leave, but at the same time when you just feel like you're phoning it. I I wasn't phoning it in, but I like wasn't as passionate as I was when I started. And like when I started, I was developing the skills that I'm using now. Like right. I was using like teaching was I was learning so much while I was teaching. Like I learned more <laughs> teaching than I've like
0: then going the, to college. Yeah. yeah, yeah like, that's usually both how it works
1: from just practicing and doing the work. And also from like, you just learn a lot from kids. Like they're smart, capable, intelligent. Like if you give them enough, like latitude to do what they want to do, you're going to get a much better result than like a super narrowly focused assignment or project. So, I don't know, just, it was definitely a really challenging decision to bounce, especially because I didn't hate it. I didn't like wake up and feel like this is again, but it was just like, as I was there, my brain wasn't, at least not engaged in the way that I felt like it should have been if that's what I was going to be doing most days.
0: Right. Yeah, I don't know. I think we I think we leave everyone at that. Quit your yeah. job and, you know, find something you enjoy. No, not even a quit your job, but just like you know, be aware of where you are in your life and your career and if you want to make a change, then make a change and you make it work. Yeah. But where can people find you on Instagram? Best way to buy is your website. So what's your website? Yeah,
1: so oldgrowthskico.com. Uh You can take a look all the shapes and sizes, and there's a purchase tab on there if you want to put in a deposit and uh, talk about getting something built. Um, I use Instagram, too, oldgrowthskico on there. I don't have any – so as far as, like, furniture building goes, I don't have a specific ins- – so I've been building furniture for longer than I've been building skis, but I've been not showing any of my work to any. Like I was just kind of like doing it, and for me or other people and selling it, and not really. Like, I don't have a great compilation of the work um, as far as like a portfolio goes. But I put everything I do on the ski co. It's like I feel like the ski co Instagram is. It's you. It's me. It's not like I'm the. Most poorly branded ski company because most of it isn't even ski building, it's just like I don't know, skiing, yeah, skiing. My launch, <laughs> I don't know, like It's a good I'm account doing. to follow though, yeah. Then, I would you like, you
0: know, if we if someone does DM you, they're DMing you, yeah, and they're yeah. talking to you. And if they want to call you, they can probably call you, and yeah, I think that's I'm about as important. available as it gets,
1: so yeah, if I give me a follow, I try and put what I'm doing on there, whether it's building skis or. I don't know a table or a bar or whatever I'm doing it's <laughs> gonna go on there I've thought a bunch about like how it's actually like fronted phys- like how it's publicly facing and should I like have a separate Instagram account or like a separate whatever but should I change the name from ski company to something else but no I'm just kind of doing what I'm doing And if you're into it I am stoked and yeah
0: that's pretty much it I love it. Thanks so much for being out, dude. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, it was great.
1: I'm glad we uh, glad we made it happen.
0: Got through a couple battery failures, but we made it. All right. That was episode 46. God, Why am I like this? I never know what episode I'm on. I'm always doing these late. Yeah, episode 46 of The Pursuit on The Auto Collective. I am Mr. Adam X. Follow us, like us, share us. I'm trying to blow up on TikTok. I don't know how to do it. I'm literally a 35-year-old dude who's blown out, and I'm just trying to survive on the TikTok, Tim Talkers. John was amazing. Follow John. Order skis from John. It's cool. It's cool to know where your money goes and, and how it's spent and how much time and effort goes into building these skis when you know it might seem like a lot of money but the amount of time and money and materials that goes into it and engineering and failures that it's it's easy it's an easy spend John's an amazing dude thank you so much for sitting down with me thank you for listening if you haven't yet listened to Out of Bounds with Drew Peterson that episode came out yesterday watch Ups and Downs with Drew Peterson I had the privilege of skiing with him last week it, it was a riot it was so much fun uh, he's better than me for anyone wondering drew peterson is a better skier than me uh, and that's it i hope everyone has a great day a great tomorrow uh, if you are struggling with anything reach out reach out to auto collective our instagram our dms are always open reach out to mr NMX. You know we're here this is a community and we're trying to build a bigger community so talk to us tell us how you feel tell us what you don't like tell us that you don't you know tell us that you love us tell us that it's whatever we're doing isn't working and maybe why you know feedback is great twitter's been really fun lately the olympics are happening I've got a couple interviews lined up with some Olympic athletes, so I'm excited to have them on the show. I have one of my favorite mountaineers coming on the show, world-class climber coming on the show. Some of you guys might know her name. She broke some records this year. Uh, There's some really exciting stuff coming on The Pursuit, so please follow along, and I hope everyone has a great day. I, again, am your host, Adam X. And as always, I'll see you tomorrow.